Hello, and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. We're in the podcast studios of P&T Knitwear Bookstore, 180 Orchard Street. Come down someday, take a look, buy a book, have some chai. With me in the studio today is Rich Dana. Rich is a zine maker, a lover of arcane technologies, a visionary artist, and an analog anarchy, hard to say. Uh, Rich also runs Obsolete Press, creating limited edition books and zines with artists and writers from around the world, including yours truly. Uh, editing, publishing Obsolete magazine, and teaching workshops on historical printing techniques and zine making. His latest book is Cheap Copies, which I have right here. Well, go this way. See? <laughs> uh, the Obsolete Press Guide to Do-It-Yourself Hectography, Mimeography, and Spirit Duplication. Uh, welcome to the uh, podcast, Rich. Yeah, thanks, Pete. I had a pen out here. I lost it because I was going to make a big show if I wanted you to sign my book. <laughs> well, be assured it will. Oh, here it, it will is. get signed. Yeah. Okay. We'll do it. Okay. At, we'll, we'll do it later. All right. Uh, so a little setup. Well, first of all, this is between me and you until I say it. But <laughs> this is our second attempt at doing this. Um, the first attempt we did uh, over the phone because you live in Iowa. It's true. And uh, something happened with the audio, so we. I didn't keep it, and I figured maybe someday we figure out how to fix it, but that was not the case. So but you're here the in the up. flesh. It's better. Yeah. Look at this. It's more, you know, like like we're together. Yeah, I can almost <laughs> see you now. Yeah, and I go, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, there's a lot on this page that you do, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, you left a lot of things out. Um, I like, If you don't mind, I'd like to say what else you do. Have done in your life because it's really impressive. Like all that in that paragraph is impressive. Carpenter, farmer, beekeeper, artist, writer, librarian. What did I leave off? I mean, and, and all those other things. That's a lot of things to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How well, do you do that? As long as the how, statute of limitations has run out on the other things, we can talk about. Those you did them. You did them, man. That's all that counts, <laughs> right? Um. Yeah. Well, I. You know, I guess it's an, always an attempt to balance, like, learning new things right. and simplifying your life, right? Yep. Uh, um, having a case of attention deficit disorder is a blessing and a curse. I see. You know, right. um, but I've always been an autodidact. I've always loved teaching myself to do stuff. Cool. And I just have a long, I mean, I have a history of publishing that goes back uh, to my early childhood right uh, you know so um that's everything is sort of consolidated and come together around around publishing and writing and and you know making zines making books making chap books right helping people design their books mm -hmm. um that's just kind of what i really love to do and you're not in new york city just for fun and frivolity Correct. <laughs> uh, it depends on your idea of fun. But uh, explain uh, to the listeners um, why you're in New York City. Um, well, in my day job, I'm a, uh, a librarian at the University of Iowa Special Collections, and I uh, uh, am the organizing librarian for the Sackner Collection of Concrete and Visual Poetry, which I can explain what concrete and visual poetry are if you want. Yeah, um, I know, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and I'll say just a couple words about the Sackners. I 
but to answer your question, I was at the Grolier. That's the Sackners, not the Sacklers, the people that we hate, right? Correct. <laughs> okay. Yes. Just want to make sure Thank everybody gets that. Thank you for the that. clarification. Yes. Sackner with an N. Yes. And by the way, we have a, a lovely studio audience here. <laughs> Hello, studio audience. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, so the Sackners were a couple from Miami Beach who um, were obsessive collectors um, Marvin, the husband, was a pulmonologist. He kind of hit it big with um, some uh, medical devices that he invented, and okay. he always wanted to be an art collector, so he just started plowing all the profits from um, these patented devices into collecting art, and he became very close friends with all of these. Was he an artist himself? He was not, no. Okay. He was just a lover of art and had no it. art. Right. Background, no art education. Was there any art in his devices? Um, <laughs> there was he was certainly creative. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, um, he he had a lot of uh, ability to to visualize things. He said um, he invented this catheter that drained fluid out of people's lungs. You know, and uh, he said it. It all came from when he was a kid. He worked as a soda jerk and they oh, had like so the, the seltzer yeah. dispensers and Holy stuff. It was, it was, so, you and know. I bet you at the time when he was a soda jerk, which I love that name. Yeah, right. I don't know if soda jerks really uh, exist anymore. Um, I wonder if when he was doing that, he was thinking, wow, I can use this someday in my life. Yeah, <laughs> who knows? Right. Who knows? Yeah. But so they um, became really close friends with all these like weirdo avant-garde artists, right. um, male art, you know, people who are doing male art and basically concrete and visual poetry is anything that kind of combines images and words. And at one end of the spectrum, it could be like a poem about a butterfly that's shaped like a butterfly. You know, the, the stanzas make the shape of a butterfly huh. or makes the outline. Wow. Or it could be something, I mean, like graffiti where... Right. The meaning comes through the visual part more than the words. You may not be able to even understand or read the words, but you understand something about the emotion that they're conveying. I saw, um, saw this artist, uh, poet, um, on Instagram. and I, Funny, he's not on my feed anymore, but he was writing every day. <clears throat> but he was writing it so that it looked like a typewriter was typing it on the video. Oh, would, that yeah. be, would that be included? Oh, is yeah. that, is that, does that I fit the bill? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, because... Uh, there, there was also a lot of multimedia stuff in the collection, you right. know, um, video, audio. Um, some really huge, big-name writers and artists, you know, people like William Burroughs, who people probably know, or, you know, Laurie Anderson or Jenny Holzer. Right. Um, and then some people who are completely obscure. It sounds like a great job. You, you, it is. Know, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. And you were it. here yeah. at the Grolier Club? Mm-hmm, which is a... A club that dates back to the eighteen somethings. Wow, and, nice. Um, what did it look like? Uh, it's really cool. Right. The, the interior is all you know, sort of old wood and stuff. This is like their second or maybe third place, but uh, it has the feeling of an old, right? You know, social club, uh, wooden paneled interiors nice. and big cases with displays of members' stuff and, mm -hmm. like, amazing artwork on the walls. Wow. Sounds Super great. cool. That's yeah. A, that sounds a like a prestigious place to do a talk. And uh, yeah, was the talk, what was the talk on? Uh, it was about the Sacknerts. Uh, Marvin okay. Sackner, Marvin and Ruth Sackner, I think, both were members of the Grolier Club. I see. 
Were they, Although are they, they alive? lived in Miami, no, they both passed away. Okay. Well, yeah. any, anybody from the family uh, that might have attended or been? Um, they, uh, the, the kids who are all you know adults now. Right. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I think they all watched the video feed. Okay. Um, they, cool. None of them live in. Was in this New was York this done this live on, 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 on? Yeah. Online? Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's recorded on YouTube now. Oh, cool. So, so I can it's see out it there because I yeah. missed it. I, I wanted to come, but I, uh, I couldn't get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit time. of a hike up there. Yeah. So um, we should also set it up that uh, we've known each other since the '90s. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, you were in Brooklyn for a number of years mm-hmm. and moved back. Uh, Iowa. Yep. Which is where you're originally from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in Iowa. Um, for people who don't know, Iowa City is uh, a university town. Um, I grew up in a small town near there. Um, my dad uh, ran a creative writing program at a small college, but then, you know, a lot of my growing up revolved around the university. The, right. Um, there's a famous writer's workshop there, international writing program, um, really good art department. So it's a little oasis of civilization. And your dad, Robert Dana? Yes, indeed. A poet, and, and, is, and uh, he taught there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, didn't, he taught on and off at okay. Iowa, but he taught for a long time at Cornell College. Oh, not oh Cor- yeah. That's not right. Cornell University, right. but Cornell College. Right. Um, and... Uh, he ran a print shop there too. Uh, he was a poet. He ran a print shop. At, in those days, it was quite common for writers to also get some training in typography huh. and book design and stuff like what, that. Why is that? Um, I think it came sort of from the journalistic tradition, but okay. then it was kind of the beginning of the fine press era. So people like Virginia Woolf are famous for running print shops where they published their own and other people's stuff. And I think it just was starting to be seen as an art form to set, you know, hand set type and make a beautiful book. So, so I grew up around that Uh, atmosphere. In our first attempt at doing this, this was really cool. So it was on the phone and I said, I'm going to read a poem to see if you know who the the poet is. And I read a poem from your father's book. Uh, This is a signed copy, by the way, he signed it to, uh, to Jill. And um, you, you got it, that you, you knew it was his poem, which <laughs> yeah. I, I find amazing because your father, how many books did he write? A, a bunch. Yeah, a bunch. So the fact that... See, you, I knew it was his poem, but I don't know how many books he wrote exactly. Uh, so if you don't, <laughs> do you mind if I, uh, if I read the no, one that I, I read the first time? I love that you read it. Yeah, yeah. and I, was gonna, I wondered if we were going to do it, like if we were going to fake it again, you know, uh, or uh, no, but I like the way you set it up. Yeah, so. yeah. So this one's uh, called Salt. And... Um, I don't know. There's something about this one. The reason I chose this one, it just uh, feels like uh, it's compatible to, I'm not comparing myself to your father, but um, there's something about this one that kind of rings for me in my writing. There's so much to forget. Maybe that part. (laughs) I forget a lot. There's so much to forget. I've never been one of your rememberers. Maybe because when I was young, nothing stayed. Or I was always moving on. I was alone as I am now at this table, wiping clean this cheap Danish stainless with which I ate, twisting and tearing this two-day-old crust of sourdough, wiping up the last breath of dressing from the plastic dish, salt, vinegar, and oil on my tongue. Like, he, 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 it's beautiful, but he, he writes in a, kind of like in a way that somebody who's not um, 
really attuned to poetry would get something out of. Yeah. You know. Well, that I always love to hear him read in public. Um, was he was he a good reader? I mean, he some, was a really good reader. Because yeah, um, it's funny because um, some people can write and some people can read. Yeah. Some people can do both. And I'm not bragging, but I think I'm one of them. Yeah. So could do both. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that, and I, I yeah. think he would be thrilled that you that you read that piece. Um, and um, he, you know, he didn't grow up in a literary family. He was an orphan. Grew up in Boston. Um, went to college on the GI Bill. So he, you know, was not a highbrow sort of person. Every everything he knew. He sort of learned himself, right. um, <clears throat> but he took poetry very seriously, and um, he was very conservative w with the words. Right. You know, uh -huh. um, like uh, you know, never, never someone to, who believed in more is better. Right. You know, right. Um, and when he read publicly uh, near the end of his life, he was a poet laureate of the state of Iowa, and so was called upon to you know, read at high schools and right. community colleges. And he met with, you know, uh, writers groups, you know, clubs. And, and um, did he, did he, he, do you know if he, if he felt like that gave him a, a purpose? Um, it was an honor for right. sure. It was nice to be recognized. I mean, if you're a writer and you've been writing all your life and now you're able to kind of hopefully inspire younger uh, writers. Well, he was a, he was an, he was a teacher, True. a professor, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much his whole life. But and college, right? Yeah. But it must have been nice to go to high school. So oh, yeah. Get, uh, yeah, he always, younger. he always loved it. Right. And he loved people who wrote poetry in a non-academic setting just because they feel the you know, the, urge, the, to the urge to do that. Right. But he had a good way of setting up his poems to an audience where he's like, without giving it all away, he would sort of tee them up or set them up for success, you right. know, right. Um, so that they would, they could understand the poems and you could see a lot of lights go on mm -hmm. for people. I think he would be proud of where you wound up, especially with this um, librarian job and, and kind of um, like making sure this, so. yeah, yeah, making sure the arts, is, it lives on. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about uh, your book, Cheap Copies. Sure. Yeah. So what, what do you, how, how, how would you uh, describe that to the audience? Um, well, Cheap Copies is... Uh, it's a beautiful book, by the way. I mean, thanks. It, uh, I, I, it's spiral bound. Yeah. It, it's designed to... The design, it, it has the rounded corners and stuff. It's sort of designed to look like a... DIY mm -hmm. manual from the 70s, you know, the gardening books and, you know, how to build your own yurt or whatever. There was right. a, there were all these books sure. back then, you know, uh -huh. so the back to lander type people. So, um, so I wanted it to have the feel of like the old VW repair manuals or something and you can... You know, open it up to a page and yeah. it lays flat. It does look like a, that page, especially you just open it up. It looks like an, an old manual. Yeah, and it yeah. has um, excerpts from a lot of old manuals in it. Right. Um, but it's uh, it sort of intersperses the history of um, you know underrepresented artists and writers who used copy machines to get the word out, whether they be political dissidents or poets or people of color. Or, or punk bands. Or punk <laughs> bands, exactly. Right. Um, uh, and when they, you were younger, did you do that? 
Yeah, I yeah. I came up making zines. We right. call them fanzines. Right. They we used Xerox machines primarily, but right. started out doing them on what we call ditto machines or mimeograph wow. machines, and these were pre Xerox copy sure. machines. So right. it was the only option at that time. Yeah, yeah. and um, so there are a lot of people using risograph machines now. A lot of people are putting out. Um, really cool looking books and zines uh, using this Japanese uh, multicolor copier, which are actually sort of like, it's like silkscreen printing. Wow. Wow, it must be really cool. But they are just like computerized versions of the mimeograph machine. So huh. if people in the audience have seen Risograph right. printed stuff, mimeograph was the grand, Do you have any, any books that. like that? Or have you bought, purchased any books? Oh, I've purchased that, plenty of yeah. Risograph printed things. Um, I also use like Risograph ink in the mimeograph machines that oh, I have because, okay. of course, all the ink and stencils and things are no longer available. Right. Um, but basically, everything's interchangeable from the Risograph machine. Um, and the Tectograph and Spirit duplicators use the purple aniline ink that people probably. 45 and older might remember 50 and older and um, uh, the materials to do that are still used in like tattoo shops huh. they, okay. they'll draw out the thing on a hectograph uh, stencil paper right. and then put alcohol on the skin right. and stick it on there and it makes a temporary tattoo kind right. of and then they so, take so, over that yeah right. so people might be familiar with that purple ink anyway sure. Um, that all came from these other old copying right. techniques. And uh, last year, um, you kind of went on a tour of this country, and you also went to uh, yeah. Ireland and, and Europe. So yep, yep. Um, after I put the book out, and it's the book is sort of you know a how-to manual, how right. to like do your own zines and things using this old technology. Um, and I got invited to a, an academic conference at the University of Kent in Canterbury in the UK, which was my first, you know, big academic conference, right. which was super cool. But then since the university was paying for me to fly over and back, I, you know, uh, made a side trip. Yeah, I made yeah. a couple of side trips right. and went to Berlin and went cool. to Dublin and met some um, fabulous artists, copier artists using similar stuff mm -hmm. and um, just had a great time. Sounds like a yeah. great trip. Why don't you read something from the book while we're... Uh, okay. Um, the introduction, I think, is probably the best thing uh, to read. Um, uh, also, um, how can the audience find the book, uh, purchase it? That's yeah. important. <laughs> um, Obsolete-press.com is my online store. It's okay. also available at Quimby's in Chicago and on their website, Half Letter Press, uh, their website, um, it's available at some book art centers like Minneapolis Book okay. Art Center, and nice. it's going to soon to be available at the Center for Book Arts in Manhattan. Nice. Too. So cool. Where's that? that? Uh, it's on. It's in the twenties, twenty um, seventh. I want to okay. say. I think Jill used to work me in there, so she knows. Uh, yeah, twenty <laughs> seventh. Um, it's the oldest book arts center in the country, started by a guy named Richard Minsky. Okay. It was. Uh, huh. Kind of awesome and Let me know slightly when it's there. controversial pay a, yeah, pay a uh, person, yeah. but the 
the uh, introduction. I don't know if people can see that or not, yeah. but yeah, I think so. um, it's uh, just called A Note from the Author, and this is how I um, sort of kick off the book. On a typical sweltering night in New Orleans in 1984, you could probably find 22-year-old me engaged in one of a handful of activities. I might be street skating, curb grinding, and ollieing across the abandoned, dead, mid-city World's Fair, a uh, streetscape that had lived ever so briefly as the epically failed New Orleans World's Fair. I might be working late at Metronome, the soon-to-be epically failed independent record store, spinning vinyl and arguing with customers about music from behind a counter, strewn with British music magazines and epically overflowing ashtrays. I might be in my unair-conditioned apartment on Magazine Street above, above George Herget's used bookstore, silkscreen printing t-shirts. I might be editing my epic Super 8 film, Tourist of Tragedy, or if my roommate Don Rock was working the night shift at Kinko's, I might be standing at a photo photocopier with scissors, a Sharpie, a bottle of whiteout, and copies of the Times-Picayune and the Weekly World News, creating an epic fanzine or a flyer for a soon-to-be epic punk show. Regardless of which of these or any number of other epic activities I was engaged in. They were all inevitably followed by a morning spent reading a discarded newspaper through cheap sunglasses, eating grits and drinking coffee with chicory, nursing an epic hangover. I hope that you will forgive me, dear reader, for opening this personal note with a moment of absurdly unbridled nostalgic self-indulgence. I composed it to illustrate two points which I stress throughout this publication. First, nostalgia is a dangerous intoxicant to which my home country is addicted. Most American working stiffs like me are pathologically prone to romanticizing their lost youth, those precious days before they were unwittingly, before they unwittingly accepted the yoke of Puritan adulthood and capitalist conformity. I know that there was nothing truly epic about my 20s. I also know that there was nothing inherently magical or objectively more genuine about all of our analog books, magazines, final records, cassette mixtapes, and, uh, and films than today's digital products. Sweating in front of a box fan in a smelly apartment with no telephone, listening to vinyl records, and editing movie film with a razor blade was not a heroic act. It was just using the cheap resources at hand. By writing this book, I don't suggest that rediscovering the analog printing techniques here and described is the beginning of your quest for a better or more pure art form. But there is a physicality and a sensuality, uh, a sensual quality to these formats that is not present in the digital media we rely on today. Mostly they're just fun. That brings me to the second point. This type of printing has a long and not always noble history as a platform from which discontented misfits have attempted to connect with other discontented misfits. America was built on a foundation of cheaply printed rants and diatribes penned by wingnuts and goofballs, both political and religious. 
In rare cases, these tracts rose to the level of the sublime, but most were crude, some offensive, and many would be considered quite vile by our current standards. The examples that I use in this book are meant to illustrate the, quote, state of the art, unquote, but may not actually be great art. Remember, zines began as fanzines, magazines made by fans, and fan is short for fanatic. Today, fanatics rule the digital info space. The World Wide Web is a platform custom made for extremists. There are only uh, ones and zeros at its core, on or off, with me or against me. The fanatics have eschewed pamphlets and broadsheets in favor of tweets and memes. The ease with which digital media can be generated has produced a world of casual bickering, lazy trolls, and whataboutists. This book is not for them. It comes as no surprise that the zine, stripped of its fanatic prefix, is alive and well among people who like to explore subtleties. Zine makers appreciate the commitment and physical work involved in their craft. They embrace their obscurity and celebrate the ephemeral. They are about process and not product. This book was produced as more of an alchemist notebook than an operator's manual, a grimoire rather than a textbook neither definitive nor authoritative. It is a map of my explorations, but as the father of general semantics, Alfred Krzyzewski wrote, the map is not the territory. I hope you will take this map and explore the territory for yourself. Awesome. So um, you are teaching people to, to do this. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you see it lasting? I mean... You know, you, you can't look into the future, but I mean, well, in some there ways, is a sure. lot of interest. It's like vinyl records are kind of back. Yeah, it's so, you know, and I think post COVID in particular, people are hungry for hands on physicality, physicality yeah. physical connections yeah, right. to other people, sure. and there's something. I mean, to throw a picture up on social media is is just to throw it into a black hole right. you know um, it's no longer yours um, it doesn't have any physical quality it'll last forever but do you want it to right. you know a zine but, or a book when you place that intentionally yeah. in someone else's hands like you've um, you've created a bond right. between the two of you I, I still love the physical art piece yeah. There's something to that. But well, you know I mean, it, uh, obviously, like, um, you know, when you decided to do, it, to do a book, you didn't do an e-book. You did a right. physical book. Right. Yeah. But uh, in some ways, um, the new technology also, there's also a do-it-yourself um, component to it in oh, some sure. ways, right? Yep. Because it's well, easier I make for, that point in yeah. that introduction. Yeah. It's not that this is necessarily better. Right. And I'll say, the people that I went to visit uh uh, you know, in Europe, um, a rare book dealer, a young uh, person uh, that I visited today, um, I met him online, right? right? Sure. Um, right. My project was funded through a Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. I, I'm certainly not above right. um, using the digital tools, and sure. uh, but the end product, there's something about the end product that's, right. that's different. So I said this in the first time, first attempt at it, and I want to, I want to say it again today, is um, I credit 
you and actually my friend Cheryl first for being the catapult to me actually doing this. That's <laughs> you know, great. Yeah. Um, so Cheryl was the first person that, you know, she would, um, I, if you remember, I would write poetry and post it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And of course, whenever you post something online, Facebook, Instagram, or anything else, um, it's just going out there and everybody has a lot on their feed and uh, it can get lost and all. But she paid attention to it and then and encouraged me and then she invited me to do, um, she was doing at that time an online uh, multimedia uh, web magazine. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that and I got confident. And um, I can remember the first conversation we had, I was like, um, you know, I, I was like, I'm gonna ask Rich, because I know you have the history of this, you know, fanzines and other mm -hmm. books. I'm gonna ask him if to do this, but then, uh, I'll, I'll never forget when I sent it to him. I'm like, oh my God, he's he's gonna see it and go, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I was like, all right, maybe he would just do it as a favor because a uh, long time friendship, you know. Mm -hmm. But luckily, you liked it and helped me with the book. If then when the book came out, I said, well, now I got to go out and read. And um, so life is about connections and networks. And uh, I don't know if you remember Voodoo Martini, but um, the mm -hmm. singer uh, Phil was uh, doing a reading here. They have readings here uh, in the bookstore. And he said, well, why don't you come to the reading and, and I'll introduce you to Wayne Crawl, who does a bi-monthly reading mm -hmm. here. Gave the book to Wayne and he invited me to read. And then I found out that there was a studio available for free for podcasts. I'm like, right, I could probably do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, not knowing what the ramifications were and how it was going to come out and what I was going to do. So it's, it's just this funny chain, and uh, anyway, I yeah. really appreciate... Uh, well, and that's that's the great thing about digital, you know, if it brings people together in a physical way, right? it's when, um, <clears throat> when it brings people together virtually, but it doesn't actually bring them... Well, there's a lot close, of that. ...closer in yeah. any significant way. There's probably way. more of that than... Yeah, but, but this, I mean, this is special. I mean, we, you know, we may not have kept in touch all these years if it weren't for, sure. for, That's for true. digital media. So, so um, we were talking about do-it-yourself. Um, if you mind, don't mind, I want to read this. It's um, my take on do-it-yourself. <laughs> oh, please. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think your show, man. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> my show, but I always want to make sure it's no, mostly I love my guests. Okay. Please do it. So this one's uh, called How to Build a Coffin. I decided to build my own coffin. I'm not expecting to die right off, but you never know. Why put things off? Have you seen the price of coffins? I figure I only need a box big enough to squeeze myself in. It doesn't need to be fancy. I mean, it'll be covered with dirt anyway. No one will notice if the joints aren't plumb or if the grain matches. When my wife asked me why I was watching how to build a coffin videos on YouTube, she snickered when I told her my intention. Then she pointed to the shelves I hung that are far from level and the other half dozen unfinished projects I've started around the house. I won't let that attitude dissuade me. I'm a man on a mission. And Home Depot is open late. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're pretty, you know, far along on, in the episode. Um, I want to make sure we cover everything relevant to what you're doing in life um, in, in the artistic sense, mostly. Mm -hmm. um, any other books you have in your mind you might do or have started? Or? Yep. I'm starting another book. It's... Um, it's tentatively called The Copiers, and it's about um, the people who started social media before computers. Okay. And that was people who made fanzines, chapbooks, you know, right. the artists and weirdos, basically, who used this to connect 
with other people. So there'll be features about them. There'll be more um, DIY stuff in it. There'll be some interviews. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be sort of a companion piece to this. And then I'll probably be doing a second edition of this as well. Okay. Um, Have you started that book yet? Yeah. Uh, How far along are you? Just outline and I picked the subjects and I've Mm -hmm. got, I actually got some interviews lined up for next week when I get back. Cool. Um, How long do you think uh, this will take? I hope to get it out. Oh, who knows? Yeah. First the next year. Right. Um, But uh, I'll also be going back out to do more workshops. We'll do uh, workshops at the Austin Center for Book Arts um, in July, probably. We haven't quite nailed that date down yet. Um, Did you search out any possible uh, places for workshops in the New York City area? Well, uh, Center for Book Arts, um, we're in... Discussions. Discussions. Cool. Uh, right. I think there's going to be an online uh-huh. uh, thing through them right. first, cool. and then uh, probably fall or you know or next next year. Hopefully, I'll come and do a do a little residency and and nice. do some workshops here in right. town. Um, when you do these talks, do you um, uh, you got you, the people actually get to do these things? Yeah, yeah I like to, I yeah. like they go home with. Uh, Art yep, and create. I always like at first for them to, uh, I like to do something that has something by everybody in it, right? Like a sure. collaborative zine, right? And then um, the second day, give them the ability to uh, sort of uh, stretch out and do their own thing, and mm-hmm. you know whether they want to do a um, single broadside print or a longer you know, book or something. Generally speaking, the people that come to these workshops have done it before, or is this something they thought they wanted to try? Yeah, I I think it's just people who are sort of fascinated to uh, uh, try out uh, a way of printing and editioning things. A lot in a lot of cases, print you know, printmakers rely on a lot of really big heavy equipment, right? right. Uh-huh. And so uh, people are always interested and want to jump at the chance to be like, I can print something in my kitchen, you know, right. while I don't have a studio or access to a studio. Um, you know, everything I do is like off-the-shelf parts, basically. Um, the so. the equipment you need for this um, is it still being made, uh, or no. it's like refurbishing old versions of it. Or well, uh, machines show up on eBay or whatever. Right. But uh, um, a uh, a coworker at the library discovered an old zine from the fifties or from the forties. About how to make a print a printing machine, a copier out of a paint can. Huh. Uh, so actually, we did a YouTube video of that. That's he, cool. he read the instructions, and I put it together. Right. And nice. we we printed a little zine off a paint can. Cool. I got I got to watch it. Send me, like a, send me a link. Wrap <laughs> some um, an old flannel shirt right. around it and ink it up, and then put the stencil on and. It works. So, so, so people can find uh, some of your work on, on YouTube? Yeah, there's some things that I've done for the library. Um, um, how do they find it? Like, uh, just your name? Uh, University of Iowa Special Collections, Rich Dana. Right. Okay. Um, Grolier Club, Rich Dana. Right. Orchard Street, Rich Dana. You know, okay. I mean, you know, the right. old Google machine will find Got you it. eventually. Yeah. It's not that hard nowadays. Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, unfortunately, we're kind of towards the end of the yeah. show. Is there anything you want fast. to say to wrap it up? Or? Um, I just hope people who might be interested will um, get in touch with me through obsolete-press.com uh, or Instagram, instant message, whatever. Um, What's your in Instagram? Uh, uh, Ricardo.obsolete. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm always, uh, you know, as Timothy O'Leary said, uh, they asked him uh, what to do after you tune in, turn on, and drop out. And he said, right. find the others. You <laughs> that's <know>? right. <laughs> so I always say find the others. Cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah, so um, that's pretty much the end of this. I'm so glad, um, you know, we got to redo the episode and actually in yeah, person. Yeah, oh, this is yeah. much better. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, although I felt like the first one was fun too. Yeah, but uh, you know things happen for a reason, <laughs> right. right? And look, and we're going to get to go out and have a meal after this. Absolutely, right? looking awesome. forward to it. So I'm going to play the theme song uh, provided by Fred Argentiano. You have been listening to Storytelling on Orchard Street, the podcast studios of PT Knitwear Bookstore, 180 Orchard Street. I'm your host, uh, Pete Salamita, and I want to thank my guest and old friend, uh, Rich Dana, for joining us today. And uh, hope you all got something out of this. I, I know I did. Uh, so thanks, Rich. And, thanks, uh, Pete. Bye-bye.